good to be back. Good to be back in worship with you. Hey, before I get into the message, I just want to say that how happy and how excited we are that uh, Jessica Newby is our worship leader. Uh, thank the Lord for you, Jessica. Yeah. Okay. At this time, Jessica will sing a special in song. No, I'm, just, I'm, I'm kidding. I am absolutely wrong. I'm, okay. Okay, guys, uh, the 4th of July, yesterday, today's the uh, 5th, obviously. I want to talk about sacrifice with a purpose. Now, I'll be talking a lot about America, but I want you to know I haven't lost sight of what we're really here for, and that is serving Jesus Christ. Okay, but leading up to the American Revolution, 130 people assembled at 1 o'clock a.m. in the morning and in Lexington, Massachusetts, to fight and to stop the British at Concord, Massachusetts, because that's where they kept their ammunition. And so, Paul Revere, as you're familiar with that name, but the other guy was William Dawes, and they sent a message out that night that the British are coming. You remember the phrase, don't you, that uh, they were watching the church tower and it was uh, one by land and two by sea because they were looking for lights. They were looking for one or two lights. And if it was by land, they knew the roads they'd be coming in on. And if it was by sea, they knew the uh, areas where they would row ashore. And so when they saw the British coming at 4.30 a.m. that morning, they rode their ride through the countryside. The British are coming, the British are coming. The race was on. There was no looking back. The Minutemen fought until the militia arrived. They sacrificed for freedom. In America, every colonist would have to make a choice. Were they going to break from the motherland? They were raised in the motherland. They thought like the motherland. Their, their, their families, their people were back in the motherland. It was a big decision, but they were looking for something else. They were looking for freedom that they did not have in a country where a king ruled over them. So would they go against the king of their beloved England? Fifty-six men signed the Declaration of Independence. Fifty-six men. Their conviction resulted in untold suffering for them and their families. Now, why this is important to, to know is because today there is a huge effort among somebody to erase our history. And so they will say that the men that signed that document were aristocrats, that they were uh, selfish, they were hoarders, and they were slave owners. Let me tell you what happened to many of those men that signed that document. Five were captured by the British and tortured until death. Twelve had lost their homes. They were robbed, ransacked, and their homes burned to the ground because they signed that document. Two lost their sons in the Revolutionary War. Another two sons were captured in that war. Nine of the 56 uh, died from wounds or hardships from the battles of that war. Carter Braxton of Virginia, a wealthy planter and trader, saw the uh, British Navy burn and sink his ships. He sold his home and his properties just to pay his debts, and he died in poverty. The Battle of Yorktown, the British General Cornwallis had taken over Thomas Nelson's home. He quietly ordered General George Washington to fire upon his own home, 
It was destroyed. Nelson died bankrupt. John Hart was driven from his wife's dying her bedside. Thirteen children all fled for their lives, and he lived in caves, and he died from exhaustion. All these suffered for a seven-lettered word, freedom. Freedom. We must not desecrate their tombs. We must not desecrate their monuments because of what they blessed us with, a nation of freedom. Freedom from what? Well, freedom from tariffs, and that meant uh, taxing things that we would export from our country. Uh, King George wanted uh, those tariffs, and things that came to our country we had to pay a tariff on, and the laws that we would have. But here's a big one. Taxation without representation. That the king could just do what he wanted to, and nobody could go and represent us, the people. The pilgrims came here that they might be a nation, that we might be a nation here free from religion. Not free from religion, people. They, they came here because they wanted to be free from government intervention. They wanted the government to stay out of our lives and allow us to worship as we see fit. And then there's the separation of church and state phrase that has been abused in our country. You know that phrase, separation of church and state, is not even in this document? Do you know it's not even in the Bill of Rights? Where did it come from? A group of Baptists up north in the East Coast wrote Thomas Jefferson and said, okay, with this new nation and with this new Congress and with this new document, what's going to happen to us that worship God? And Thomas Jefferson wrote in a personal letter to the Baptist Association, he said, we believe in the separation of the government staying out of the church's business. That's what separation of church and state is all about. And yet it's turned on us, and now it is keep Christians out of public office. What a shame. Without sacrifice, there is no liberty. And so uh, sacrifice with a purpose. Let, let me break from the sermon just for a moment. I, I want to let you know that there will always be oppression. Why? Because this... The world is not a Christian world. This nation is not a Christian nation. We are fallen men and women. We've been a fallen state, a human race, since the Garden of Eden, and therefore there will always be oppression on somebody by somebody. And if they say it's oppression by capitalists, then it's going to be, it's gonna be uh, oppression from uh, socialists. It's going to be oppression from communists. It's going to be oppression from dictatorship. Don't kid yourself or fool yourself. There will always be oppression until Christ rules this earth. So be careful about what you put into a vacuum and what you fill America with. Specifically today, I'm switching. The, have you noticed? We're now turning, we're changing gears. What are we doing for Jesus that requires sacrifice like the patriots paid? What are we doing specifically for him? Uh, an old story is about the conversation a hen and a hog had. See, they had passed a church sign in the yard, and it said, Sunday sermon, remember the poor. And the hen got to talking and said, oh my goodness, uh, we can do something about this. We can provide them a ham and egg breakfast. And the hog protested. He said, listen, for you it's just a contribution. For me it's total commitment. Isn't that true? The hog. 
Christianity, Jesus does not call us to a contribution when you are ever ready. He calls us to total surrender. He calls us to total commitment. We are His. We do not belong to ourselves anymore. We sacrifice with a purpose. In Exodus 22.20. Exodus 22.20 is very plain. They were setting up a new nation as well. The Israelites. And here was how God spelled it out. Exodus 22.20 says, He who sacrifices to any other god other than the Lord alone shall be utterly destroyed. And America worships at many altars, many false gods. What is a, a false god today in 2020? Anything you put ahead of Jesus? That's, that's it. Anything you put ahead of Jesus. Do not put anything above God. All right, so what is sacrifice? Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words says primarily it denotes the act of an offering. That's a sacrifice. An act of an offering. So, do you know the difference between a sacrifice and a sacrilege? All right. In sacrifice, we offer that which means a lot to us to uh, he who means more to us. That's a sacrifice. Okay, so uh, we sacrifice our lives for our country. We sacrifice our lives for the personal wants and wishes of our family. We take care of our family and we sacrifice our heart and our life to God. But on the other hand, what is a sacrilege? In the Latin, sacrilege means robber. It means thief. Okay, so it's not a sacrifice. It's sacrilege because someone is stealing something that means a lot to you, and they are giving it and dedicating itself to themselves. And that's a sacrilege. People will burn and desecrate the American flag. The American flag's not our God. It just represents the men and women who went and fought for freedom on behalf of our country, and, and, and they died. And, and we don't like to see people burn the flag. And, and we don't like to see people spit on our police officers. And we don't like to see people spit on soldiers. But it happens, and it's sacrilege. Sacrilege. Stealing anything dedicated to something else, and it does not belong to you. It's sacrilege. I want to read real quick from Malachi uh, 1.14. L listen to this. Cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord, for I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations." Understand what he's saying. You've got a blue ribbon state fair sheep, a lamb. And God requires you and me to give our best that we have. But when it comes time to offer the sacrifice up at the temple, Malachi said, you've got it better, but you bring me the blemished lamb. You bring me the diseased sheep. Do you think God is supposed to be happy about that? We give him our best. You know, in 1963, uh, a lot of the generations represented in this room do not know this. But in, in uh, 1963, uh, our government got rid of organized prayer in the public school. 
And, and ever since that time, our nation has not been the same. Something else happened at the same time, and it's where our Supreme Court legislated that you could kill humans. You could kill human life. And, and so things have been going south ever since. How so? Everything is up. Crime is up in our country ever since then. Divorce is up ever since then. Unwed partners is up 577%. FBI says violent crimes are up 353%. Just from 1963 to 1985, and 85 was a long time ago, sexual transmitted disease in that time period was up 58%. Since we started killing humans, and since we took prayer out of the schools. Now, sexually transmitted disease is up every year. Since then, I just could not find the percentage on the internet. But one thing has dropped in our nation ever since that time period. SAT scores. Yeah. Scholastic assessment tests have been going down ever since. It's not that we don't have smart young people. We do. But there's, there's a strange rebellion in the land. And it says, life is all about me. It, it, we gotta know, we've got to get back to sacrifice. We've got to get back to putting others before ourselves. Someone is committing sacrilege. In other words, someone is stealing what is sacred in our nation and stealing it for their own purposes. Growing up in the home of a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force, I would hear things from time to time. Not, not often, but most of the time it was get out and mow the grass. That's what I heard. Rake the yard. Who left that dish on the counter? But every once in a while I'd hear something about the Communist Party. See, people don't want you to talk about the Communist Party because, you know, where's communism? It, it's dead. Communism is not dead. They got a website. You can look it up yourself. And so, uh, 40 years ago, the communists said, we will take over America without ever firing a shot. So how were they going to do that? Well, you can look it up, 1963, Communist Manifesto, and you can read it for yourself, but I took the pleasure of what our interests are. Number 27 of their manifesto, they are to infiltrate churches and replace revealed religion with social religion. They are to discredit the Bible, and they are to educate people and, and, and educate them to maturity that they will not need a religious crutch. That's number 27. Number 28 is to eliminate prayer in public school because it violates church and state, which is not even in the document. Number 30, discredit the uh, founding fathers as selfish aristocrats and no concern for the common man. Sound familiar? I looked up their actual site this past week and it says communism admits to supersede all religions. That would include yours, Christianity. That communism supersedes it. So uh, can, <clears throat> can hoarding be wrong, sacrilege, stealing from others to better myself? Uh, as an illustration of hoarding is wrong, uh, I'm turning over to 2 Kings. Now you can turn to this one. This is going to be a lengthy passage, so go ahead and turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. I'm going to go 25 through chapter 7, verse 2. Now the text is actually longer than that, 
Uh, but uh, I want to I keep you in the room. So I'm, I'm just going to read this much. All right, this is, <clears throat> this is a, about a siege on Samaria, and it got so bad, they practiced cannibalism. They, they were dying. They were so hungry because of the siege. All right, here we go. Uh, there was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it until a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver. The fourth of a cab of dove's dung sold for five shekels of silver. As the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him, Help my lord, O king. He said, If the lord does not help you, from where shall I help you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? And the king said to her, What is the matter with you? She answered, This woman said to me, Give your son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her on the next day, Give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. When the king heard these words of the woman, he tore his clothes. Now he was passing by on the wall, and the people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth. You know what that means in that culture? He was mourning. He could not believe the state of Israel, God's people. He was mourning. He was in uh, ashes and sackcloth. <clears throat> 31. Then he said, May God do so to me and more also if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on him today. You know what he's doing? He's blaming what's going on. He's blaming it on God's prophet. He's blaming God for the shape they're in. Now Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. And the king sent a man from his presence. But before the messenger came to Elisha, he said to, Elisha said to the elders, Do you see how this son of a murderer has sent to take away my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold the door shut against him. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? While he was still talking with them, behold, the messenger came down to him and said, Behold, this evil is from the Lord. Why should I wait on the Lord any longer? Church, do you hear what they're saying? Same thing what's going on with uh, Christians today. What, what is the church doing today? We get impatient. We won't wait on the Lord. We take matters into our own hands. Guess what happens when you take matters into your own hands? chaos. You're not going to receive the blessing of the Lord God when you take matters in your own hands. You must wait on the Lord. Chapter 7, verse 1. Then Elisha said, listen to the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow, this is prophetic, tomorrow about this time a measure of fine flour is going to sell for a shekel. All right, we already went from dove's dung and a donkey's head. Something's happening overnight. That tomorrow, beautiful, fine, baking flour <clears throat> will be sold for one shekel. Two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. The royal officer on whose hand the king was leaning answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? Then he said, Behold, you will see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat from it. 
All right, what's going on? There's a siege against Samaria. <clears throat> and with this siege, the army surrounds a city, and nothing goes in and nothing comes out, and when your food supplies are gone, you start to starve, then the armies move in and, and kill you and take your gold and your silver and, and all your whatever has survived this famine, the siege. And what's, what's going on particularly in this, in this text is, <clears throat> what I did not read to you, were these two lepers. Two lepers. They're having a little conversation. They're not only suffering from leprosy, but they're starving to death like everybody else is. And so they said, listen, let's go outside the city, let's go to the camp, and let's beg for mercy, let's beg for food. What are they going to do? They're either going to feed us or kill us. Either way, our goose is cooked. Either way, we're dying. We're goners. And so they go out during the night, but listen, to the fulfillment of Elisha's prophecy that the next day fine flour would sell for a shekel. <clears throat> during the light, during the night, the Lord, uh, to, uh, for the Syrian army that surrounded Samaria, uh, the Lord sent the sound of a great mighty army coming in. And these Syrian soldiers fled. They left their gold, they left their silver, they left their tents, they left... They left all the food. They left everything. <clears throat> so when these two lepers get into the camp, <laughs> and everything's there, the food is, they start lining their pockets with gold and silver, and they start eating st gluttony, stuffing themselves. And then all of a sudden, <clears throat> they're hoarding, which was a knee-jerk response after a, a famine in the land all that time. Praise the Lord for 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 9. Verse 9, these two lepers wake up. And they, I don't mean from sleep, I mean from their gluttony and their hoarding. They said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news, but we are keeping silent. If we wait until morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, let us go tell the king's household. And that's what they did. Now, instead of hoarding it for themselves and, and being killed by the king when he finds out what they've done, they go back during the night and go to the king's house and say, God has given us the victory. And now these two lepers are heroes. Why? They did the right thing. So a principle here is to hoard is evil. To give is good, to share is joyous, to sacrifice is divine. And once you've been blessed, do not hoard. King David said about sacrifice, he said, I, I will not sacrifice anything to my God that costs me nothing. We've changed it. We've turned it around. We said, I can't give because it costs me a lot. I worked hard for that. I pay too great a price to give, to give that to God. That costs me too much. Does it sound familiar? Some say, I'm not throwing money down a rat hole. I'm going to tell you something. The church is not a rat hole. It is the bride of Jesus Christ. And when we give to it, we're not throwing it to the wind. We're giving it to God, and he will bless. Uh, there's a text over in Malachi, 
and we were there just a while ago. <clears throat> but I want to go to chapter 3 this time. Chapter 3, verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. All because you honored giving to God the tithe. Phenomenal. Jesus said, and it's recorded in Luke 14, 33, any of you who does not give up everything cannot be my disciple. Well-to-do Christians had taken a trip. <clears throat> Two of them were a lawyer and a merchant. They uh, joined this party to go around the, uh, the world in a tour, and they were in Korea one day when they saw in a field a boy pulling a crude plow. And an old man was pushing this plow with him through a path in a rice paddy. And so the lawyer was amused by that, and he snapped a picture of it. That's a curious sight. I, I suppose they're dirt poor, he said to the missionary. Uh, yes, he replied, that's the family of Chi Naui. When the church was built, they were eager to give a gift, but they didn't have anything. All they had was an ox. And so they sold the ox and gave the money to the church. And now they're plowing the fields themselves this year. They all were in silence for a moment, and then one of them said, boy, that must have been some sacrifice. The missionaries said they didn't think so. They were just glad they had an ox to sell. <clears throat> the tourists didn't say much after that, but when they reached home, the lawyer took that picture, and he went to the preacher's office, and he said, he said, I, I want to double my giving to the church, and give me some plow work to do. I have never known what it is to sacrifice to the Lord. I don't know what it really means. I'm ashamed to say that I've never given him anything that really cost me anything. In Mark's gospel chapter uh, 12 and verses 41 through 44, it wasn't very many weeks ago and I read this text. I want to read it again. Jesus is in the, uh, in the temple and they're, they're, they're noticing how people give. He sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury, and many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. Jesus celebrates that type of faith. Can we do it? Have we ever done it? When was the last time we actually gave in a, in a sacrificial way that actually hurt us? that we actually had to do without something that week or even maybe that month because of our decision to give. In our country, <clears throat> our country was built on sacrifice. Our parents and our grandparents built a life for us 
And it was built on their backs. And it was built on their sacrifice. And the kingdom of God was built upon Jesus' sacrifice. And this is not a time to live in opulence. This is not a time for us to, uh, is it aggrandizement? Where we, we, we showcase what we are and who we are. This is a time for humility and service and sacrifice that we might save the church. And maybe save a nation. We must follow and lead by sacrifice. What do you need to sacrifice today to be right with God? Is your life a sacrifice or a sacrilege? You guys uh, probably remember uh, a country singer, Tanya Tucker. I, I, I don't know if she's putting out any hits uh, anymore, but uh, there was another one that wrote a song with her and sang it together, and that was Paul Overstreet. Now, Paul wasn't as, Overstreet wasn't as well-known as the other country artists, but, but here's a song. I won't take less than your love. How much do I owe you, said the husband to the wife, for standing beside me through the hard years of my life? Shall I bring you diamonds? Shall I bring you furs? Say the word, and it's yours. How much do I owe you to the mother, said the son, for all that you have taught me in the days that I was young? Shall I bring expensive blankets to cast upon your bed and a pillow for you to rest your weary head? And the chorus said, I, I won't take less than your love, sweet love. I won't take less than your love. All the riches of the world would never be enough. I won't take less than your love. The last verse of that song says, How much do I owe you, said the man to his Lord, for giving me this day and every day that's gone before. Shall I build a temple and make a sacrifice? Tell me, Lord, and I'll pay the price. And the Lord said, I won't take less than your love, sweet love. I won't take less than your love. All the treasures of the world could never be enough. I won't take less than your love. The Bible says to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. America needs what this book says. America needs for us to love our neighbors. We need to sacrifice in the church. There's a work to be done. There's a work to be done. Let's bow in prayer. <clears throat> Holy Father, I praise you today in thanksgiving. Hoarding and bickering and fighting is killing our country. <clears throat> It'll kill a church. I pray, Heavenly Father, for uh, your people to arise to the occasion. We're looking in the church tower for a light. And we need to get back to the light of the gospel. We need to pass the baton of the gospel to the next generation. Dear God, forgive us for making the Christian life all about us and treating you like you're a Santa Claus or a genie in a bottle. Forgive us, dear God, we have forgotten what it is to sacrifice. May we learn it again. Hoarding is killing us. Selfishness is strangling the life right out of us. Forgive us. In Jesus' name, amen.